You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we got another great episode for you. If you're interested in learning anything about the tactical and technical aspect of setting, or just really anything about setting, this is the episode for you. We have brought in a special guest, a pro setter, who's actually setting in France currently, and he's joining the pod, and we're talking everything setting. So, if you're ready to learn all the tactical and technical aspects of setting, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after 11 years coaching competitive volleyball and as a head coach of a college team, I've become obsessed with helping athletes and coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to train efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I've created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode nine of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I have a special guest today joining me on the pod for the first time all the way from France. Um, now, he's not from France. That's where he's playing right now. Um, but we're joined by the former setter for Team UCLA out in LA. And he's also a setter for the men's national team. And he's currently playing professional volleyball overseas in France, setting over there. So thank you so much. I want to welcome to the podcast for the first time, Micah. Is it Micah Maha or Micah Ma? Maha, yeah. Maha, Maha right? With, that, with the apostrophe. That, that's where exactly. the extra... That's what I thought. Well, Micah, thanks so much for tuning into the pod, man. How are you? Good, Coach. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate uh, it. Hey, man. Anytime. This is great. I'm excited about this one. It's funny. Um, on my, what I do is I post on Instagram, you know, random love, like ask a volleyball question. And I, I get mm-hmm. hundreds of questions that come in and they come in and they come in. And a very common question that's going to come in uh, lately is setting. A lot of people want to know about setting. So I was like, hey, you know what? We're going to do an entire podcast episode on setting. And who better yet to bring on than one of the best uh, setters I've ever seen play the man, game? There's some, there's some better setters, but I'm glad oh, to be here. I'm sure, I'm sure there are better setters. But when I, when I saw you at UCLA training and I saw the technique, the, the focus, uh, just, just the overall like, setting package, I was like, this, if you're not the best setter now, it's, it's a matter of time before you are. So thanks coach. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, man. 100%. Um, so before we get into the technical and tactical things, like, let me, I just want to get an idea of your journey. Like tell everyone, you know, what was your journey as a setter starting from young all the way to, to pro? For sure, man. So I grew up in Hawaii. Uh, my dad's been my coach since I was about, gosh, I'd say nine years old. My mom was my coach before then. Hmm. Um, and my mom kind of had to pass my da- me off to my dad. My dad wanted to be my coach. Uh, so yeah, I've always been around volleyball. My, both my parents were professional volleyball players. Um, my mom played on the beach. My dad played on the beach, some indoor. They both played at UH. And then, uh, yeah, I grew up playing. I was pretty successful, um, in the, in the club years and at, in high school. Uh, so we did really well. Club volleyball is my favorite, like, pastime in the, in the world man you get to mm-hmm. play with your best friends and uh yeah. everything's yeah. just for fun and yeah. those are the yeah. good old days for sure yeah. um so yeah and then and, and as far as setting uh it's crazy to think this is my second year uh actually ever being a setter full-time um i didn't set for a year fully until my junior year of college mm-hmm. um and then this past professional year was my second year just trying to focus on setting. So it's, it's been a blast. It's been also super frustrating going through a lot of the pains that, you know, setters are always used to. Yeah. Um, but that's, that comes with the job. So, yeah, I've, I've always done it. Um, I mean, live, I said I just popped into it. I've always done it. Um, but in high school, I set and then hit some. Or I've always hit on the right while I set or just straight up played on the left side. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been, it's been fun to kind of start to dive into just being a setter. Although I think in the summers I, I, I do some hitting as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, it gets a little complicated, but yeah. Uh, that's great. So the, the first question is, it's going to be a broad question. All right. It's more of a, we're going to take, we're going to pretend that we're a high school volleyball player. Okay. We'll say like a freshman 
And we're going to take that freshman on a journey of what do they have to do from grade nine all the way to grade 12 to get into a college to then get into a potential pro situation or national situation. So we're going to take a volleyball player on the whole journey. So if you're a grade nine, if you're coaching a grade nine player, what are you, what are you telling them right now? What are they focusing on? What do they need to do? Well, I would say the first thing that's important is to find, find a good credible source of information. Um, whether it's online through you, whether it's uh, a person in the, in the area that has produced successful players um, because my, my coaches that I've had my entire life made me the player I am today. Um, and they're so instrumental in, in your training and then your, your skill level um, that I think that that's one of the most important things. It's super sad to be able to say like, man, half the country, more than half the country, probably three quarters of the country in America. It's, it's hard to find a good coach. Yeah. Uh, I know yeah. that it's, it's hard to even have a high school program to yeah. play for. Yeah. So if that's not the case, you're going to have to watch film. Um, you're going to have to watch a lot of film and try and be your own coach. Um, but yeah, my first thing would be to find a good coach so that you're training at least you're training the right things and you're going in the right direction um, because that's the easiest time to uh, instill good techniques, instill good habits in your game. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, I would, I would take that and do a lot of individual training. Um, not a lot of live, just, man, when I was growing up, we actually didn't have a team to scrimmage. So our mm. club team would do only individual stuff up until about a week before, um, a big tournament. And then we'd bring in the best guys we could find. Usually they were actually like college and pro guys cause it was a summer. Right. We played against Michael Christensen, Taylor Crab, and oh, anyone, nice. that was, anyone that was home for the summer would come. We'd ask them to come in, and they would always come and help. So, yeah, just train on your individual skill. Hammer those in. Um, a lot, man, you just realize the, the value of getting reps is crazy. Like, if you do 30 minutes of, of setting individual reps, that's worth maybe 10 games of yeah. actual like playing you just get so much more out of it especially if you're a hitter and a passer because you don't control the ball coming to your setters you touch it every time um but yeah just hammering out those individuals those good techniques and then um shoot am i saying too much this is, a, this is no a this is your answer. interview man no you go it trust me you keep going okay 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 so sorry i just i'm realizing man this is a long-winded answer no no this is but, what um, we want don't worry okay okay yeah. So, yeah, and, and then a lot, after that, trying to find um, talented people in that area, too, so you can train with them, you can motivate each other. I know competition is how I kind of get myself to work harder. That's a good point, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm not naturally uh, – I, I actually wouldn't say that, but I've always found myself going harder, especially in the weight room and cardio and those kinds of things. Um, when I'm talking with my friends and I'm kind of pushing each other and we're all in there kind of doing our thing. Um, it's a lot easier than when you're at home by yourself trying to self motivate. Um, so just, yeah. Or like I've been working out with Joe Worsley on zoom and that's helped me stay accountable. That's helped me, um, do the, do the reps and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, finding people around you to, to, to motivate, to train with, to even play with, to learn from, um, to teach, uh, all that kind of good stuff. So finding those people, um, and then just start. And then after that, you're, you're, the rest takes care of itself. I've kind of learned that um, in terms of recruiting, man, if you work really hard, that they just find you. They, they do their jobs well enough. I know if they don't, you put a highlight tape together and you can send it out or put it on Instagram. Um, I know that people – recruiters i do know that they do find people sometimes like just by that just being like oh this guy sent us this or oh i've, I've seen this guy on instagram and i checked out his stuff um so yeah just being a little bit more active if you if you're at that point uh but first take care of your skills don't do that uh prematurely because yeah uh, if you want to get to a big school you're gonna have to be you're gonna want to lay the groundwork before you do that some people so, are really quick to do that and it's yeah. not necessarily in their best interest. 
So in terms of like a young setter, so the skills are obviously super important. I mean, I, I could not agree with you more on finding a coach or a mentor or somebody. Like I always tell my story about when I was a young coach, um, you know, I didn't have a mentor. So I just like, I YouTube, I Googled, I researched, I did, I did all these things and, and I was making progress, but at a very slow rate until mm -hmm. later in my coaching career, I finally found a mentor and within working with him for weeks, I gained more in weeks than I did in years prior. And it was just because I, I you know, I had someone to take, tell me exactly the path I need to go on, tell me exactly what I need to focus on. And it wasn't just me doing it. And even if you, and uh, for people that can afford it too, like make that investment in yourself because mm -hmm. it will pay over and over and over once you, once you learn the skills and get it, get it, like get it done. So, you know, that's, that's the whole reason I started DVA. I started DVA to be able to do this for other coaches, to give them some kind of mentorship, whether, whether you're a coach or an athlete. So I, you, you avoid all that nonsense and wasted time. Uh, you can't get that. Yeah, man. No, for sure. I think luckily I've known that since a young age is that like even reading, it's simple as reading a book. Um, man, somebody who lives their entire life, 50 years, and puts the most important things that they've learned in 200 pages and you can learn 50 years of experience and cheat cheat yourself out of 50 years yeah by reading for a couple days yeah like watching a couple videos and you learn man you can just it's cheating man it's cheating yeah no you're right i mean there's some things that you need to go through life and, and learn on your own don't get me wrong like yeah. some things like you need to go through you need to live through you can't read yourself through them or you can't listen yourself through them but there's some things that you can and you should because your progress like if that's your taking off point instead of 50 years before that yeah and then you root again and now you're 50 years ahead you can live lifetimes in a couple in a couple weeks that's right and you know what i'll take it a step further and say like well, what, what i do as a coach is be, i i teach but i also allow them to experience so i don't give them all of right. the information right off the bat. I want them to experience the trials and tribulations so that they can grow and, and you know, learn themselves. And that's, that's really the ultimate coaching when a player can figure it out on their own and then you just, you guide them and help them. So you hit it on the For money. Sure. They have to experience certain things. And that's going back to your point, find someone to help you. Like, For sure, man. Really that's super important. So if you got a, if you got a young player, a young setter, what are, what are some technical things? Everyone wants to talk about technical things. What are some technical things that they need to be able to do um, right now so that they can make sure that when, you know, the, at the higher level, the higher level, it, it, it takes care of itself, like you said? Yeah, I think, um, man, setting is such an art as well. Um, yeah. It's very individualistic in a sense where everyone does it a little bit differently. Um, and I think that that's what's beautiful about it. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen now internationally that there's a few things that everybody does. And then there's some like other things that make that person special. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's about finding what can make you special and then doing what everybody else does when that's what needs to be done. Right. Um, so some, some simple things that I can think of right now are a, a big thing that, that I've noticed in all the successful setters is that they get the ball out really fast. Other hands? Um, yeah, I'm starting to notice that. Is that. That's like the most consistent thing is that that ball is not in there for a long time, which is really interesting to me because I started off as like a big holder. Like mm -hmm. just hold that thing and then throw it to where you want it to go. And that's how they um, teach young setters a lot of times to do it. For sure. It's like, yeah. dude, just catch it and then throw it and then just start yeah. speeding that up a little bit. Right, exactly. Um, but that has come back to bite me a little bit because I've talked to some setters that I, that I look up to um, just their hands, not necessarily um, look up to in all these other ways, but I'm like, dude, you got amazing hands. What is it? And a lot of them were just, man, I just started watching and uh, I just saw that people got it out fast. And so I just started doing it and doing it faster and faster. I'm like, that is so interesting. That's so, so not the way that I learned. Yeah. Um, but that's something that I've, I've envied. I wish I started off in that position. So that's one thing. Two is, is uh, their releases are, are, are symmetrical. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you told me this. Just like, just like how people say, like, finish like Superman. Um, I've learned finish like Superman. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter 
a lot how that looks to a T, but they've got to look the same on both sides. Um, yeah. Just because the ball follows your hands, um, and you're, it's a two it's a two handed uh, movement. Right. So to get that thing to go straight, both both sides of the of the action need to be um, symmetrical. Right. Um, there are some times where you where you're manipulated one hand um, to be able to maybe you're not squared up and you want to fire it into to a th- thirty one. Yeah. Um, and you got to push more with one or the other, but for the most part, you want to be really really symmetrical. Right. Um, there's a couple other things I can think of. Feet, feet are super important. Um, that's kind of, that's the basis of it all. Uh, I learned through Josh Tuaniga, um, a, a guy that just has amazing hands. Um, he uses the floor a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I'm not quoting him wrong on this. I hope, I hope I have an understanding of it a little bit, but yeah, he uses the floor a lot and that's where he gets a lot of that effortless looking uh sets when he like just touches it and that thing flies um he uses the floor just, as in he, he uses the floor it's like when he takes off right he jumps, yeah it's just one that momentum it, it's yeah it's just you i don't know how else to ex- explain it no it makes sense um because it's interesting because you're not on the floor when you're setting a lot of these jump sets you know right um so it's hard to say use the floor when you're in the middle of the air while you're doing this but it's just a timing thing it's just a when you have an understanding of it in your head, it starts to click a little bit and you can feel it a little bit. It becomes, it comes a little bit more effortless. Yeah. Um, and that thing is just, it's just popping out a little bit differently than if you were to, to not have any, any, um, energy slash power from the floor. So that, that will come like holdy. Right. So that will come like, you have to beat the ball in order to do that. I think that's where the footwork yeah. comes in. It's super important. You got to get to the ball. Yeah. And then you're the footwork to- is crazy, man. The footwork is so, so important. You don't want to be flying around. The, the main thing that I've learned, honestly, is just to be simple, like really simple in your mechanics, because one thing that that helps with a lot of things that helps with, I'm not a very deceptive setter. Uh, so I've had to learn that just let my deception come from being simple. Um, just look the same way every time. And if you get that thing out fast enough, the, man, you're going to put them in a world of hurt. The middle is going to be chasing everywhere he goes. If you're always looking the same and then nothing's popping out and he's got to go catch up to it. Right. So being simple for that. And then being also being simple. Cause you can, man, you can have so much better location. If you're doing the same thing, every time you're practicing the same thing, every time for reps, find something that's simple and consistent and hammer that out. Um, Cause location is the number one thing a setter needs to do. Yeah. Um, no matter what you could be so deceptive, but, your hitters don't like it or they're tipping balls and it doesn't matter. So you've got to have great location. That's the number one thing. Um, and then, yeah, it's funny. It's so important, man, for so many reasons. Yeah. I like that simple thing. Cause we have, we have a thing in our gym and I, I always tell my athletes minimize movement to maximize efficiency. That's our, that's yeah, we our had a saying life. ours was less is best. Oh yeah, exactly. And that I was think our that, saying growing up. So, and I think in, your, in what you're talking about with footwork and movement, get to the ball, go up straight, make it the same every single time. Like that's, that's what kind of what you're doing essentially. That's what setting is, man. If you can make, that is the art of setting. You can make your ball the same every time you are the best setter in the world. That's what we're all aiming for is just yeah. to, nothing more than to just give the same ball over and over and over. Right. Okay, sorry, yeah, I cut you off there. Continue. So yeah, we got the footwork, we oh, got the shoot. release, we got the yeah. location. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then oh man, a big part of setting is in your head, man. It's about decision Mindset. making. Yeah. Um, you, I, I've told a setter that I was just talking to. Um, someone's little brother was he was asking that. Uh, what were my two biggest things? And I said one is uh, work harder than anybody else. And two is when you're on the court, you got to be the smartest or you got to be the most competitive and your goal should be to be both, but you got to be, you got to be either one. I like that. At the very least. So when you step on the court, if man, I've seen people that aren't the smartest and they are dogs and they, they do well, man, they do well. And then there's the guys that are just on another level and they're just out thinking you and they beat you without even lifting a muscle. So, and if you're both, you're, your problem so i like uh, that 
I told him, yeah, he said, be the most competitive on the floor every time you get on it or be the smartest every time you get on it. And smart, you can't really control. So you, yeah. you can put work in and you can learn a lot and stuff like that. Um, but you can get after it. And so that's another thing is your mindset. And then just being having good decision making is so important. It's like a quarterback in that sense. Um, Agreed. But it's even more so because you're not exactly taking what the d- defense gives you. Um, it's not like, oh, I can check down to these four people. Um, it's just your best opportunity to score. And that might be their be- against their best blocker with a triple block if Dane and Gemma is your middle right. and you have a good pass. So right. just making the right choice, um, a lot of that comes with time. A lot of it comes with thinking. Um, experimenting. Um, I talked to Brian Thornton, who's an amazing setter, uh, amazing coach. Uh, he coaches for the national team. And one of the things he says is that setting is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like gambling in a sense. It's you're looking for the best risk and the best reward. Uh, and I, I kind of like that because it's not necessarily yeah. always making the right choice uh in the textbook, you know? Yeah. Like it's not, you can go off script and, and like, that's also being smarter than the other team is, uh, I know I've got this and I know it's a good chance to score, but I think that surprising them right now would be a better chance to score. And yeah, it's not my best hitter, but, uh, we're going to try and take a crack at it and being, uh, having the courage, being, being fearless in that also helps. Um, yeah, so, yeah, great. man, it's a give and take of, of making the right choice and then making the wrong right choice or the right wrong choice. I don't know how, which way that goes. Uh, but um, I, I like that. And it's crazy because, like, that's the power of a setter. That's the power of having that responsibility man, as so a setter. So much power. Right? Like, you have so, the so ultimate power on the court. So much power and then at times so little power because you can be giving balls out and nobody's scoring. I know. Um, so it's a frustrating thing to, to deal with at that time, especially when you're a guy that hits. So right. like, I'm like, dude, just set me the ball. You just, somebody go be a setter at this point. It doesn't matter if you're juking anyone out just put the ball high yeah. and put it near the net. And I want to go hit this thing. Yeah. Um, so that gets frustrating, but yeah, it's the setter. The setter is so such a powerful position. It's also, man, you got to be such a strong person because it takes the most flack out of anybody by far like that. You got to have thick skin. Um, it's the only position that gets judged off of perfection. Um, not a lot of other other positions get judged off of perfection. Middles can, can have bad reads. Guys can shank good, good serves. You can hit out of bounds. You hit 500, you hit great. As a setter, you set 500. You're oh, yeah, a bad you're, setter. You're a bad setter. Yeah, you yeah. got to set 9.99. And that one, you're gonna hear about it. People That's are such a like, good oh, point. Can I, can I can I get that a little higher? Can I get a little tighter? <laughs> um, can I get it like this or that? Even if you set them five balls perfect before that. Yeah. Uh, and that's just a that actually, I've found, um, it's actually more of an American thing. When I went to France, a lot of my hitters were really good about like just knowing that when the ball gets out of your hands, it's their job to better the ball, to do what they can do with it. Right. Um, wherever that thing is and good hitters do that. And, um, we grew up that way. My, my coach didn't allow feedback to the, to the setter besides him. Because, oh, interesting. Because he had seen people like up, uh, like showing up their setters and like, giving them the, the thumb up so that everyone knows it's not my fault. I need the ball higher so that I Oh, uh, right. And, man, he, my middle did that once to me, and he called a timeout. My coach called a timeout and just went off on him. Oh, he, wow. And, but we only had seven dudes, so he couldn't bench him. But he's like, I could have benched you right now. <laughs> he's like, man, you don't ever do that again. Yeah. yeah and, and it helps a lot as a center because, man, do we go through the – we go through it, man. Everybody wants you to be perfect all day long. And I don't get to tell a passer, Hey, can I get this pass tighter or three feet lower? I just get what I get. And nobody talks about that. And then I've got to put a perfect ball out and this guy can hit it out. And nobody says it like, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing, but you got to have thick skin for sure. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I hope my listeners, if you're not a setter and you're a left side, you know, libero middle, listening to that's this. That's for everybody, man. Yeah. Yeah, this is for everyone. I hope you, you have a different perspective and more respect for your setter and think about, because I sure. guarantee you, you've never thought about what a setter goes through until you hear this or until you're in Dude, the Dude, you've never gone through it. That's what you need to experience. When yeah. you're under a microscope, every set is under a microscope and you need to perform to perfection. Um, it's a different type of pressure, man. For, it's a different type of pressure. You don't yeah. get any mistakes. It's a bad look if you set it over someone's head. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you mess up, it's – so. but, yeah. And then also, like, you also do have the right to say something when um, when you think that setter doesn't know the right place to aim. Like, if you honestly think he's aiming in the wrong place – now, if he's if he's missing sometimes, that's fine. But, like, if we don't have an understanding of, like, hey, I want this ball fast, mm-hmm. then that's fine. Just tell me where to aim. And then if I miss, know that I'm not perfect. Like, I am human. Yeah. Um, but if you know that I'm going for – we're on the same page, then you got to ride it out with me. Yeah. If you think I'm actually aiming wrong, then we got to talk. Right. Um, so that does come into play. Like, some guys, like, they're like, hey, I'm, I think I'm going a little faster. Can we speed it up? Of course. Of course. And right. your delivery and your delivery matters too. That's but that's something a setter needs to do. The setter is like a psychologist, I swear too. You gotta know everyone's mental state. You gotta keep everyone together. Um and that's draining, man, to deal with all that stuff. Uh just to know who's confident and keep everyone in the game and know when somebody's in the dumps, how am I gonna get this guy a good opportunity and then talk this way, talk it talk this guy out of the the slump right. he's in he gets blocked twice do i want to give him the next one is he the kind of guy that like he needs to know that i trust him or is he the kind of guy that's like i'm totally fine taking a break but come back to me in a little bit so i can like start to find my way back into the game right um is he a type of guy that's uh can start off a game with a really bad situation a high ball and he can just still find his way in or does he need a good ball off the bat to get some confidence um, there's so much to go into decision-making, not just matchups, not just like my best player, your best player, but where, who do I need to serve as well? Mm-hmm. Who do I need to like be in service to? Um, does this guy's going back to serve, does he like to get set before he goes back to serve? He starts to feel himself. He has a kill, you know, he, he's our best server. So I need to give him a ball. Oh, so wow. He, yeah. He's in the game already, man. There's so many things that, does this guy pass better when um, he's been in the game, he's feeling well, or is he just nonstop? Is he just a solid passer? Do I not need to give him the ball yet? Um, do I need to establish someone so that they, the other team thinks that, that this guy's my guy? Yeah. Like, do I need yeah. to do that in order to open up for my closer? Is someone good in crunch time? I'm kind of, I'm kind of like beating a dead horse maybe, but there's so much stuff. Um, oh, this is great. Into- that goes into decision-making that, that other people don't think about. They just think, give me the ball. And I'm like, no, if I give you the ball, four other, three other attackers aren't getting the ball, and that, that, has, that has a play on. Like, even if you're the best player, yeah, if I sell you every ball, things aren't necessarily going to go as well as we think it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just got to be careful about that as well. And that Setting is such an art. It's such a science. It's, it's such a – complicated thing um you're dealing with so many people and you're the decision maker so in that sense you're a leader um yeah and that comes with a lot of responsibility you brought up a good point actually and no one talks about it in fact like even when i talk to other coaches we don't really talk about the psychological aspects of a setter it's always about tactical and strategy but but this was a really good point that it's it's so much more than that it's well you're not only leader on the court, but you have to maintain five other people's personalities and decide, you know, when is the right or wrong time to do certain things. And like you said, if someone's frustrated, well, you have to factor that in now to your decision-making. So, and and then not only are you responsible for all your other hitters, now you have to make sure that you're staying in a good state of mind to be able to do things like that. So all the tactical and technical can go out the window, but you need to deal with yourself and, you know, maintaining that all those personalities in order to be an effective thing. So that's a great point. And that's something that needs to be talked about more that I don't think is. For sure. No, setting and setting decisions are, so, it's very fluid. 
Um, it's constantly changing. When 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 uh, coaches would ask me like, "Hey, what what went into your decision there?" I don't even know. I don't. I can't even <laughs> pinpoint it. Yeah, it's like I have. I, maybe I take it too far. I'm thinking, you know, it's like just make the right, just make it simple. Take emotion out of it. Um, but then you might not get the results as well, you know, like that is part of the game. It's part of what's going on out there. And if you can consider it, I think you might have a better chance of success. Right. So yes, yeah, so, like people will be like, yo, why'd you, why, why didn't you set that? We have this guy here. And I'm like, well, we don't have time for this conversation. Like this is a 30 second timeout. I could, I could, we're going to have to go through the whole game of why I thought. Like, right. We're going to have to think about, dude, this guy this morning was not happy this morning. Like, <laughs> he was eating his, his breakfast by himself, maybe, you know? Like, right. there's so much that's going on to that. I don't have the time to, like, and coaches might just draw it and be like, dude, this is, the, this is it. And I'm like, that's not it. You're not seeing <laughs> You're not seeing it all. Like, that's not just right. it. Like, it's not X's and O's all the time. It is right. sometimes. And you, ha- and it's getting, you have to balance that out. Um. But it, at other times, it's not. Right, that's a that's a great point. All right, I want to I want to take it back to the first thing we talked about, which was fast hands. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, um, I think it's really, so. What would your your advice be? Because even even as a young coach growing up, we were taught the same thing. Like, okay, teach them how to catch first, and after they know how to catch and they understand the feeling of it in their hands, now we're gonna bring it down and release. Now we're gonna get faster. Now we're gonna get faster. For now sure. So what would now let's let's take it back to the fast hands. Forget that. Ooh. How would you teach fast hands? That's, that's a great question. question, man. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I'm actually kind of thinking now. This I haven't never thought about this, but a lot of the reason why we do that is a strength reasoning, right? That's it's true. Like yeah, the yeah. ball is so heavy for if you're 12 years old to push a go ball with a normal ball, you're gonna have to catch that thing and throw it a little bit. That's right. Um, I'm just thinking to, to counter that, maybe you need to create a re- like, you know, how they have molten heavy balls. Yeah. The setter ball, like the weighted balls. Yeah. I yeah. would, I would do the opposite. I would take an extremely light ball so that weight is no longer an issue and we can just look at the technique and you just can fly that thing. I'm thinking that. Oh, that's I, actually I'm thinking, interesting. I'm thinking that might help because as a young kid, I didn't have the strength, so I was always catching and throwing. But if – because then you get to a point when you're older and it's like, dude, to catch and throw this thing is actually less accurate. Like, I'm too – like – That's right. Like, it's like when you get, like, a balloon or something, like, that's so light, it's hard to control when you're catching it and throwing it. That's right. Um, you become too strong and you need to just, like, barely touch it almost. Right. Uh, so I want I would want to recreate that for like a twelve year old and get a super light ball, like, and just teach him bang bang like firing you that thing out, um, barely touching it or like you can touch it but just make sure that thing comes out fast, and then train those muscles to a point where when they are strong enough. See, this is such a long term thing because I know you're gonna have to play games with the real ball. That's just how it's gonna have to happen. Yeah. Um. But over the long period, if you do train with that lighter ball, um, by the time you're 18, you'll be a really good setter. But I don't, I don't know what it looks like from 12 to 18, jumping no, back and forth. That's an interesting point. Like I'm trying to like we're talking out loud here. It's open conversation about you know when when a ball comes in your hands, right? You know you bring it down, you put it out. Now we're just keeping it up here. It's, it's yeah. not, it's not coming down. So your wrist has to definitely be strong. Yeah. Um, but what, like, uh, just thinking out loud, what other muscle groups are involved with, you know, the ball coming in and it's just quick, quick release. What other muscle groups are involved oh. in getting that done? I would say, you know, it's weird. Um, man, a great person to have on this podcast, if you can get a hold of him is Tyler Hildebrand. Okay. Um, he's a coach and uh, I think he's coach at Nebraska right now. He was a USA volleyball coach. He's so, I've, I've not talked to him a lot. Uh, he coached uh, Josh Twinigo. Mm-hmm. Um, he coached him. He's coached a lot of people, and he's just really, really well known. He's um, very highly thought of, or I don't know, he's held really, really highly. 
Um, and a lot of the stuff he's dealing with is biomechanics. Mm. And I've never looked into that. But I know that he's really like, apparently he's really into it. He's really, really smart guy. Uh, amazing setter, setter coach. Like probably one of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about, if I'm not mistaken, he's the one that talks about from the floor. I think your shoulders are involved. Which would make sense, yeah. Your chest, um, your elbows. I would say almost everything, your, your core a lot. Your core, I was going to say core, yeah. I think your whole body, man. <laughs> I think your whole body. I think it's just an overall strength thing. Yeah, which would make sense. And it's a matter of repetition. You got to practice it too. Because it's also your leg. It's in your legs. It's in um, your core, your, your, your whole upper body, your back. Your, I don't know. I don't know what the main muscle groups would be. I, I'd be making it up if I, if I did. That's fine. But yeah, he's, he's super into the biomechanics and he would be able to just break it down for you scientifically. No. Okay. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. And you know what? The fact that we were even talking about a faster release now that people know that there should be an emphasis on that and there's something they should be aware of. Like that's more sure. than enough. You just got It's just a matter of yeah, going and, and everyone does that. Whatever. Everyone needs to do something a little bit different in order to get that out of themselves. Yeah. Um, which is why you see everyone doing it a little bit differently. No, no two setters look the same in the world. Right. Like that's just, that's just like a lot of outsides, a lot of middles, like they, they can look like they can resemble each other a lot more. I don't know why you can find one or two people. that's like, Oh, you'll find some guys that you're like, wow, that guy's a unique player. Yeah. Um, you'll find a lot of that, but also like you'll find some guys that are like, they're, they're kind of similar. Like they play similarly. Right. You, um, so we talked about location, talked about fast hands. We talked about symmetry. We talked about decision-making, psychological aspects of it. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you, you can think of that's important for setters? Ooh, I'm sure there's stuff I'm missing, man. That's I'm okay. Sure hey, listen, we already covered a ton, a ton of good things. Um, not, not, I mean, right now, there's nothing I can really think of. Dope, that's fine. So, so basically, trying to become a setter. Well, we, yeah. we pretty much covered the roadmap of becoming a high-level setter, starting yeah, with the, ground sure. and the skills, like developing your footwork, your hands, try to get fast hands early if you can, symmetry, uh, and repetition. And you, you, you said it right off the bat, repetition, repetition, repetition. And the, the more you do that, as you progress through your career, the better you're going to get. And hopefully you get to that point where you're at a high level and your location is great, which is like you said, location is number one. Um, if you have a bad location, you're not going anywhere. So for location's sure. got to be on point. Um, so but here's a question for you. I only got a few more. Uh, what, what do you do to prepare for a game? Oh, wow, man. This has been a, a, a question that I've gotten a lot. Um, and it's actually been something that I've had to deal with um, for a long time. Okay. And that's because okay. I don't prepare like other people. Um, okay. And that's, I've always been a really loose guy. Really just, man, I just think life is about being fun, having fun and being happy. Um, I'm always trying to have a good time no matter what I'm doing. Um, if I, I'm just, that's just my personality. So I'm doing that five minutes before a game as well. Um, and that just has helped me. I've found that if I'm focused for too long before, I start to check out. I, I just don't have the mental capacity to be locked in. Mm-hmm. For four hours, you know, like I'm trying to get it to like, if it's a five setter, I don't want to have to be like locked in for an hour before the game. My mind's going to be toast. And right. I'm thinking a lot during the game. Like right. Other people may not be, but I'm trying to think. Even though the be- you're playing your best when you're not thinking at all. Like right. when I'm not thinking, I just naturally making the decisions, man, am I playing my best. Um, but also I, I usually I'm thinking a lot. I'm not always in that flow state. So. I don't like to be, and I, yeah, and people have held me on it, and I've talked to people about it a lot, and people have been frustrated um, because it's not the status quo. Right. But I don't, I just don't believe that everyone's best, it's not, it's not in everyone's best interest to do things all the same, you know, like. That's a great point. And, and a lot of people never even find out their best way of preparing because the 
the way to prepare for everyone and you get judged if you don't is to like sit down and look like you're really locked in and be super serious and have your music in and um, be looking over the game plan all the time and, you know, be like not talking to anybody, not laughing. And I'm like, dude, you guys haven't even tried my way. Like I've tried your way. Right. Like I know that I don't play. I'm too serious. I, I don't play to my best. You guys have never tried joking around. You guys have always been so stuck up and so like, man, this is, you're not being serious enough. Like <laughs> we need to be serious. And I'm like, you haven't even tried, tried my way. I feel like a couple of you guys could, could benefit because you guys are all too serious. Like you guys get into the game and you're too serious. Like, yeah, it doesn't benefit you guys sometimes. Like some guys. Yeah. Okay. That, that works for you. Sick. But have you tried something else? Do you even know if that's the best way to prepare? Right. Um, the answer is no for a lot of people. And so, I mean, I used to play kickball. I used to play some games. For us, we had so many conversations about people wanting everyone to be as a team, which definitely has some value and merit. Um, I grew up on a team that was very militant. Um, we didn't have choice. We really didn't have choice. We only blocked line. Like we literally did not have the choice to block. Oh, anything. really? I don't like from 12 to 18s in club. Actually, 18s. I think my dad was like, "If you're athletic enough, you can grab the ball if you need to." Okay. But if you get tooled, or if it doesn't go well, my dad would be furious. And everyone in the gym on our age level <laughs> knew my dad for being very, very vocal, which I right. think uh helped us a lot we right well i have a good story about that we played basically the uh team their starting lineup when i was maybe 15 and they were number one in the country they had taylor averill sarkovich uh maybe i was 16 or 17 because siki was there um who else did they have colby Kanataka is a libero jennings franciscovich was a setter mm -hmm. um kupono fey um brooks Sador. Um, who's a who's a Canadian? Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember who else they had, but they came in and they were the only person they were missing was Siki. They had their middles were there. Taylor Averill was there. Um, Davis Holt. Their start. Their whole starting team was there. And my dad missed the first set, and we got killed. It was twenty five ten, I think. Okay. And these guys were were laughing at us. And we're like, man, this what are, what's going on? Right. And my dad showed up. And we beat them the next two sets. And we're like, oh, wow. see, we'll see you guys later. Like, they were <laughs> like, what the heck? And we're like, dude, my, my dad, when he's there, we are just on a whole different level. Um, yeah. So he was instrumental in our success as kids. Um, but, yeah, he'd call us selfish. He'd be like, you're so selfish. Like, like you play zero team ball. Like, if you make one move, uh, you make one move and, oh, my God, you're a selfish human being. You can't <laughs> do this. You can't do that. He's a very intense guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are very militant and I think that that's amazing. Like I think there's so much discipline is such an important thing and having a system is such an important thing. So there's a balance to that. Yeah. But when people would be like, like, Oh, he's not taking it seriously. I'm like, oh, I would talk I'd be like, man, have I missed my assignment once in a game? Like, have you had to approach me and say, you didn't look at the game plan? No. Like right. I talked to my coach, coach, I'm the only guy you're not reminding of the game plan. Don't talk to me about looking at the game plan before the game. <laughs> no one else here is even doing it in the game when it matters. Right, right, like, right. Like, I'm right. doing it when it matters. That's what matters. Right. Um, so I've had to talk to people about it, and I get that it looks how it looks. Um, and a problem in our world today is that you see something and you don't understand it, and you immediately judge it. Um, and that's, that's a also great point. And that's human nature because – we man we've evolved and not to get like through this but i mean in evolution and hunting and gathering like you need to know who you can trust and not and um people that don't look like you or don't come from your pack are dangerous back then like they'll they'll kill you and eat you yeah like this is they're savages so you have to know like who's mine and i have to know like this is what i look like and we do things this way and when people don't like it's in our human nature to be like oh that's not like what we do yeah um, so then you have to have conversations to try and understand and, and a lot of those conversations that aren't happening um they're, they're not happening and and that's detrimental to not only a volleyball team but to the world you can see it today and 
yeah. a lack of understanding and a lack of communication and open dialogue, right. what that does to, um, to just people in general. Right. So not to, not to get off the topic, but yeah, there's a lot of things that people look at and do that too. And one of them is my warm up style. <laughs> you know what though, but that's good. You know what? I, I, I like this conversation because it's, it's such a, it's a good reflection on the fact that not everybody warms up the same. And the expectation that you, you expect all 15 to 17 athletes or 14 athletes to be dialed in the exact same way is absurd. It's not the, that's not the reality. And it's, it's a nice reminder because I feel like even myself, if I look at a player and I think they're not focused, well, are they really not focused? Maybe that's the way that they For focus. Sure, so man. It's, a, it's a thing that you got to, and I'm happy you brought that up because I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. And sometimes, right. Cause, um, it's true. Everybody warm, everybody gets ready for a game differently. As long as they've done their job, how, what, what they do after that should be entirely up to them. So I'm, I'm happy you reminded me of that and everybody else too. And I know we have a lot of coaches that listen on this podcast. So, um, you got to ask yourself, were you really hard on a player when you shouldn't have been, or did you, for miss sure. All right. So that's interesting. For sure, man. Focus is a, whew, cause I mean, one example of me is if I'm too serious, I'm not, Unless I'm angry or upset and being like being really competitive, right. if I'm in that middle stage of like trying to take it seriously, but I'm not emotionally there, um, I'm not as focused as when I'm having fun. Because when I'm having fun, I'm trying to win. Yeah. I realize, dude, this is a game. Like, like, oh, this is sick. Like, let's try and beat this team. However, we can think about it. Yeah. Like, how can we scheme this up? How can we beat this team? Like, I'm having a great time out here. That's just where my mind goes. When I'm having fun, I'm like, oh like i get even more competitive um and when i'm competitive that's when i'm doing my best that's what i'm thinking um but when i'm in that middle stage of like oh like i need to be serious i don't and i'm not having fun i'm not like this isn't a game I, i'm just not as focused in a weird way right i could look way more focused i'm like oh very like i know you guys can't see this as a podcast but like very uh dialed in yeah the words are dialed in i'm very dialed in yeah, but that's not the that's not the case. I'm not a, I'm not as effective unless I'm I'm involved in the game, and if I'm involved in the game, it, it's got to be a little bit fun. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. All right, I got I got one more for you because I want to keep you too okay. long. It's more like a two parter. Um, how were you able to make a pro team? Like, how that even mm -hmm. happened going from college to pro? And then the the second part to that question is going to be now that you are a pro player what what is your focus now like what's your goals now You're, you've made it to a pro level what do you got yeah. to improve what's your goals now kind of go from there all right go ahead for sure um so i would say the first thing to be pro is just to not think about it until it's time um like i said before it's easy to jump the gun it's easy to like be caught up on oh how am i gonna go pro you just, first off take care of your skills because yeah. um that speaks for itself. Uh, so you want to you just take care of your, your playing. Once you're taking care of your playing and the stuff comes and you, you're, you're successful, then when it's time to go pro, you, you have to find a, an agent. Um, and you can find them. I would say just reach out to somebody who's, who you know who's, who's, been, who's gone pro. Yeah. So he can give you some contacts. Um, because the world over here is way different, man. Like, we have no understanding of professional volleyball as North Americans. Um, that's just, right. we, we, we're so foreign to it. It's such a foreign concept. Right. So it works differently out here. And, and these guys understand the markets. They understand the teams. They understand the, cu the culture. Um, and it's all over the world. It's, it's, it's from India to Russia or, and everywhere in between. Um, so so you're, you need to your find agency. Yeah, so your agency understands the volleyball world, not just France, but everybody. Like no, no, yeah. Okay. My agency is actually a really, really big agency. Um, they have players like Michael Kubiak, who is in Japan. What's your agency uh, called? It's called LZ Sport. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, okay. okay I'll, cool. I'll, I'll link oh, them up. I think Shawan. It's Shawan's agency. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Shawan Vernon Evans. It's, it's the same dudes that, that he works with. Okay. Um, they're really big. They're super, super big, uh, but I love them. They, they did, they've been doing me really well. They take care of me anytime I need to. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, so I don't really bother them a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but when I really need something, they're, they're always there for me. 
so yeah, you need to find an agent and that person just does all the, all the dirty work for you. Um, they'll ask you for some film and you're going to have to give them some film and this, this and that. And then they go out and just work for you and they try and find you a, a job. Um, and then they, a lot of times they take, a, they take a cut, but a lot of times it's paid off by the, by the club. The club pays a, an agent fee. Oh, interesting. Uh, so that's really nice. People say, does that come out of your contract in a way? Because without it, they'd have extra money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not necessarily true. Um, they could get you for the same price and then keep, keep that money and go for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they take it out of there. I don't truly know what it is to be completely honest. Uh, could be 5%, could be 6%, could be. 10%. I really doubt it's higher than 10%. I don't think okay. it's 10%. Okay. Uh, I think it's like 5 5% probably. Right. But yeah. And then from there you're good. The, the guy gets you a job and you're boom, you're you're a professional athlete. How long are contracts normally? Um a lot of people do one year. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of turnover so a lot of people do one year um a lot of clubs like to do one year with with an added one year, maybe a one plus one. Okay, um, yeah. Mine was a two year, a two mm-hmm. plus one. Um, nice. It's rare to find people with three, four years, especially out the, out of the gate. You're never going to get like a three, four year contract. I don't think. Right, right. No, that makes sense. My understanding is I'm still learning. I, I've only been over here for a year. Yeah. Um, and it's a whole different thing to try and learn. So I'm not positive, but you got to be a beast to get a three-year contract i think micah has a three-year contract in modena uh, okay. and they need to like love you and they need to be like we are riding with you like we know you're our guy yeah uh, so a, a two plus one's a long contract a lot of it's one one plus one right yeah and then what was the other question it was two-parted yeah oh and then oh what am i doing now that i'm a professional yeah your goals yeah now that you're a pro athlete you're a pro volleyball player what are your goals going forward dude you know to be super honest, I'd love to say it's been easy and I know I want to be the best and this and that, but um, when you go professional, you're in a time of your life of trying to, you're entering the real world. Yeah. Um, and Sparrow talks about it. And one of the, the highest points of, now this luckily has not been the case for me, but it's a very, very serious thing for a lot of people in my age the highest part of depression is after college um, because you enter the real world and man, it is so different. Um, sorry about that. I don't know how loud that is, but um, yeah. And you just get thrown in and you get lost and you're like, what do I do with my life? Who am I? Um, yeah. For a lot of people, it's a change in identity. Like maybe you're a really good student. Um, so at, if you're really, so you probably go to more school, but uh or you're an, you're an athlete and your, your career comes to an end or you're this and that. And you right. go from hanging out with your friends every day to like not seeing them. Everyone's got a job. And so you moved across the, you moved to a different country. I moved to France. People don't speak English here. Right. Um, luckily I have, I have really good teammates and um, I'm okay on my own, which, which is really, really nice. Uh, and I already went through a transition from Hawaii to LA, which I thought was a hundred times more difficult than the transition I've had from, from USA to France. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. For, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, right. that's, that's besides the point. But, um, yeah, so I've just been trying to figure out, man, is this something I want to do? My best friends have all stopped. Um, I grew up with two people who had the chance to play professionally. Um, my best, best friends. I have four best friends. These are two of them. And, they both played on the national team at some point. They're both all Americans mm-hmm. um, and they both stopped and just cold, just like, no, nope, we're done after college. Um, oh, Tui and Tui they played Leta on the right national now. team when they stopped. Uh, yeah, man. Like Interesting. Tui Tui just, just left in the middle of summer. Like he was on our team. He was on the national team. We went to France to get, we went to Cannes to play VNL. He yeah. traveled. Um, and then he just went home and he's like, dude, Michael, like, I don't, I miss playing club like that's what I that's where I loved volleyball and right. I don't know if I'm I'm willing to leave Hawaii in oh, okay. order to um live by myself to make not a lot of money and do something that I'm not loving anymore right so he stopped and then my other best friend Evan Enriquez went to Stanford RIP Stanford men's volleyball hopefully they get. I know man that's tough 
I know they'll. I think they'll they'll figure something out. But they have um, to. It's so weird to say like this man went to Stanford men's volleyball like and that doesn't exist anymore. Isn't that crazy? But um, he stopped because he loves fishing and he just he just fishes now. So wow. I've been trying to figure out what I want to do. Dane and uh, if you guys know Kofi stopped playing volleyball. He's doing yeah. music. I also want to do music. That was a uh, tough conversation I, to have with him when we had that. I was like, wow. What a life changing Yeah, man. Crazy move. And yeah. a lot of respect to those people. Like they just knew what they wanted. And they went for it. I'm trying to figure out what, what do I want? Like I have so many interests. I'm such a curious guy. Um, super curious in nature. So I'm always trying to do so much with my life. And I'm so right now I'm just trying to figure out like, how long do I want to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and at times that can stop you from working hard. Luckily I've been trying to work as hard as I can still. Um, but when you're half foot in the door, you know that it's a little bit different than being full and fully in. Right. So to be completely honest, that's what I've been trying to, as a professional, the honest truth is I've been trying to figure out if I want to be a professional, how long do I want to be a professional for? Right. Um, because it's a sacrifice and we all right. are going through that. Um, we're all trying to figure out, man, is this, we are away from family, friend, we're away from everything. Right. Um, don't get me wrong. I've loved my time here in France. I, it's been amazing. I, I've thoroughly like enjoyed my time here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of other things I want to do. So yeah, I've just been trying to figure that out. Besides that on the volleyball front, it's really fun. The volleyball is really, really high level. The French volleyball league is an amazing league top to bottom. So it's mm-hmm. super competitive every game. I've never worked harder for, for wins in my life never worked harder for a point in my life than, than in this league. Um, and you have a lot of free time to kind of do what you want and things are paid for, which is amazing. We don't spend a lot of our money. Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't have a lot to spend on you. Your apartment's paid for your car's mm-hmm. paid for. What else do you have to pay for? I mean, I have to pay for food and gas. Right. And I'm, I haven't bought anything. Like I just don't buy a lot of things. So, and you, you, you're forced not to buy things because you're always on the move. I'm always going. Uh, right. You never know if I'm going to be in this town next year. I have to bring all the stuff back to America, and then I have to bring it all the way back, and it's expensive. And right, you end up being a minimalist in a way. Right. Well, I will say one thing I know about you. You and Spry have similar traits in that you guys are, you guys aren't just volleyball-minded players, but players and coaches of intellect. And regardless of what you decide to do, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be the right decision. It's going to be what makes you happy. And I, I think like, it's like Danon, more than an athlete, you guys are both intelligent people that no matter what you do, you're going to dominate that. I'm pretty confident that you and Danon are similar in that sense. Danon decided to go full-time music uh, and there's no reason why he won't kill it. And he, he already has been doing great things. Yeah. And you decide to go pro volleyball you're going to dominate that. And whatever you decide to do after that, uh, I have absolutely no doubt that you won't kill it as well. And it's just because sure, of that, right? You're intelligent. You make the right decisions. You think about your decisions. Um, and I mean, I'm always here to support you as you know. Um, and I'm sure you have a support system as well, which is good that you can, you know, rely on. For uh, sure. Thank you, coach. Dude, Danon, I just got to say, Danon is a smart man. Yeah. He's intelligent. <laughs> he is intelligent, man. He, he is just one of those guys where, he knows how to do so many different things. Like your car's broken and next thing he's out there and the car's like taken apart. He's like, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. I'm like, how are you a full blown mechanic? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know how to do this. And it's like anything with the electronics, he's in there. He's anything's broken. He's fixing it. He is just a, he's a really smart guy in that sense. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's funny. Like uh, when, when I, when I talked to him the other day, like when he got back, he was, he was starting to trade. He's like getting to stock trading and doing all that oh, stuff. Oh God. Yeah. He's, he's, I'm he's like, yeah, let's go. Uh, so it was interesting. Hey, Amen. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on the volleyball by design podcast, man. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck, uh, in the rest of your career and the season as well. Um, you, yeah, you listen, listeners got a treat today cause you gave some solid advice, both technical <laughs> and tactical sharing your stories and stuff. There's, there's a ton of value in this episode. So I really appreciate it. Any last final words you want to tell our viewers? No, man. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, thanks for having me on the podcast. Just wanted to say thank you. And, uh, it's been a treat. It's been super, super enjoyable. I loved having this conversation. So 
uh, it goes both ways. So thanks for having me. Um, thanks for the jump program. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I appreciate it, man. Keep doing, yeah, keep doing, no worries. keep working hard. It's great stuff. Thanks. And listeners, uh, make sure you watch Micah. Hopefully uh, you follow my, you can follow him on Instagram. Hey, what's your Instagram handle? Yeah, it's just my name. M I C A H Micah Ma'a, M-A-A without the, without the Okina. It's called an Okina. Right. So I'll, I'll put his, um, I'll put your Instagram handle in the show notes so people can follow Sick. you and support yeah, you guys, along your journey. Along. We do some fun stuff on there. I, I'm trying to be more active on it. I'm trying to take, take follow of your lead, but I'm just not naturally a, uh, a take pictures, social media guy. So I'm it trying to work time. on that. Yo, I wasn't either. I wasn't either. So, so actually it wasn't, it wasn't until like this year where I started using stories more. I, I never use stories. Now I'm starting to like, okay, ask me a question. I'll try to get more involved. And I feel like nice. people have been getting a lot of good, I've been getting a lot of feedback from that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's different. It is, man. It, it's not natural to a lot of people. So props to, to all the people that work really, really hard on that. It's hard work. Yeah. Well, thanks listeners. Uh, we'll see you again with another episode on the Volleyball by Design podcast, hopefully sometime next week. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate it. Sick. Appreciate it, Coach. All right. Cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.